0: Would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We are looking at 7 through 18. Would please join me in prayer as we prepare to read the Word of God. Father, help us now to hear you, the power of your Spirit in your people. That, Father, we may be comforted. That, Father, we may be challenged. And that, Father, we may hear what our dear brother Paul had to say to the Corinthians so many years ago and how so important it is today. Strengthen us for the task at hand. May each of us stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Father, may each of us handle rightly the word of truth. And Father, may each of us be overwhelmed with the privilege of being children of the Most High God. May it become a passion that is second to nothing in our souls and that is uh, consuming us with every task that you set before us. Help us, my Father. Help us to walk worthy of this awesome calling. In Christ's name, amen. Beginning in verse 7 to the end of the chapter. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident... In himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for the building you up and not destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong. But his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when absent such persons we are also indeed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves... And compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere that God has apportioned to us, as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But... He who boasts is to boast in the Lord, for it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. If you are in a topical teaching church, you will probably never, ever hear this text. It doesn't have what we would classify as theology in it. And some people would even write it off as more of the heart of the Apostle Paul and more uh, the personal side of the Apostle Paul and his heart for the Corinthians. And if it was in a topical church, you would probably never hear this taught. If you were in a textual expositing church, uh, a lot of guys would teach these verses in one message. You guys know that I am not capable of that. So I'm not. And not only that, as I have been kind of pulling all of this together... We could be here a while because uh, verses 12 to 18 are dealing with a topic that is desperately needed viewing in the body of Christ these days. What we're looking at is the church that has been reconciled to the Apostle Paul. If you go look at 1 Corinthians, you see chaos. Not only chaos, false teachers had now taken positions of authority in the congregation at Corinth and were sowing seeds of doubt and discrediting the Apostle Paul. That he went back on a second trip and made a surprise visit. During that visit, some of these false teachers confronted the Apostle Paul publicly during the congregation and shamed him. And Paul left heartbroken because no one in the Corinthian church defended the Apostle Paul. So when he got back to Ephesus, he wrote a letter called the Severe Letter. We do not have that letter. Okay? Uh, Titus took it back, and as you would have done with any of the Pauline letters or the Apostles' writings, when it came to a church, they would have taken that letter and they would have read it before the church. The severe letter was read before the congregation at Corinth. Upon the reading of that letter, many in the congregation understood the error of what they were doing and had repented and had wanted the restoration of the relationship with the Apostle Paul. But what happens is, is that you have this movement in that congregation to come back to the original founder of that congregation. You still have the accusers in the bushes, trying to rebuild their alliances. So the Apostle Paul writes 2 Corinthians, what you and I have, and he deals with the first nine chapters of the book. He's dealing with the people whose restoration has been restored to the the Apostle Paul. And now they're friends again, and now they're listening to Paul. But Paul's smart enough to know... That just because there has been a turn, you need to understand how easy it was for them to be swayed the first time. If these people are still in the congregation, he has to deal with them. That is chapter 10 to the end of the book. He's dealing with these accusers. What we're looking at in verses 7 through 18, I've entitled as, A true man of God is known by... These six things okay, that you see on your outline. And we've been working our way through this. And the Apostle Paul makes it adamantly clear that you should be... And, and what is comical to me is that these false brethren, these false apostles, would be hearing this letter read to them, and everybody in the congregations going to know who he's talking to. Okay, and basically he does it in a manner that's consistent with a lot of his writings. He gives you the contrast. Here's what the false looks like. Here's what the true looks like. I had somebody uh, who uh, has been listening to me online. I'm I'm thinking I'm, I'm about to wear out that welcome. But anyway... He approached me and he wanted to have a cup of coffee. And I said, sure, we'll go have a cup of coffee. He says, I've been listening to what you've been teaching on a true man of God is known by. And I was like, well, I'm not done. You know, I still have a few more points. He says, I've got to ask you a question. He says, you kind of have all your notes together and all the rest of it. You can tell by your, uh, your technique and your, the way you're teaching. He says, uh, how do you line up against What you're teaching. And you know what I told him. I said you know years ago. When I first took over. At at the pulpit. My biggest fear was. uh, Sunday morning would show up. Okay. And I don't understand what the text says. And so I prayed fervently. Lord. Lord. Help me know what the text says. But you know what the Lord showed me? That ain't your issue. I'll show you what the text says. The question is, is the text you're teaching true of you? Okay? That, that's that's where, what do they call it, where the rubber hits the road. Right? And that can be dangerous. I've seen up in Yellowstone where some of the roads are melting. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I'm not sure I want to be the rubber on the road there. But I want you to think about that. Some of you have known me since I took the pulpit 20 plus years ago. Some of you have known me, you know, when I first started. Karen isn't here and I remember her telling me. She says, I remember the first time I saw you, you had holes in your jeans, a ponytail and a serious attitude. (laughs) and i was like well there you go i was like karen i'm glad i can stand out in your mind (laughs) so a true man of god is known by one his relationship to christ his relationship to christ verse seven are they confident that he is christ Looking at the things outwardly. Look at the evidence. Does that man have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Evident. That's what he says there. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. Look at the evidence, Corinth. Does Paul have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it evident that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Okay. How can we know? In this day and age, if a man has a relationship with Jesus Christ. See what I've learned is is that the same platform that we have, the false have too. Uh, I mean this young man approached me, called me to have coffee with me because he heard me on the internet. Do you know how much heresy is on the internet? It's remarkable. Okay, and yet that same internet that people can let download my sermons, they can get every heretic that's walked the planet. How can you know? Because of their relationship with Christ, and it's tough this day and age. We are in an age of uh, some people call it political correctness. Some people call it tolerance. And in in to question anyone's spirituality is almost unforgivable. But my argument is always the same. When I read the Bible and someone has come to Christ, there's no doubt in anybody's mind that it happened. Okay, if you'd have known Paul when he was getting the arrest warrants in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and then run into him after Damascus, there's no doubt in your mind. Okay, the same with Peter. He denied Christ three times at Pentecost. He walks into the temple and says, you men of Israel who murdered Christ. Where did that bravery come from? There's no doubt in people's minds. And let me share with you something. In the Apostle Paul's life and in our lives, all people need to do is sow a seed of doubt. And you know what I've learned in this day and age? I don't have to have any proof. I can just say it. Just say it. Make the claims. And I don't have to have any evidence at all whatsoever. That's what we're looking at in chapters 17 and 18. Why? It gives us an insight into this. Because we need to look at the the men's relationship to Jesus Christ. One of the things that I have noticed about the false they're new in town. And they may even have a letter of recommendation. Okay? But what do you know about them? I remember watching a, a, a job opening here in Castorock at one of the churches. And they were wanting a, a business pastor, which I'm not sure what that is, but that's what they wanted. They wanted... A business pastor. And I was like, well, that's cool. So, so you read through. They wanted you to have your master's in business and something in accounting. And you're just reading through the list. Here's, here's what we're looking for in our business pastor thing. The fifth thing on the list must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Really? I would want that to be the first five things on the list. All right? I don't understand that. Why? And you're new in town. How many churches have you watched that bring somebody in from out of town? And they have a... I call them the sugar stick sticks, sermons. You know what those are? It's, that's that sermon that I've preached so many times, I'm good at it. Okay? Every pastor's got some except me. Because I, I don't know if I've ever preached anything twice. <laughs> but anyway... And and, and I remember when I was doing that conference in uh, Memphis in front of the Ulfords And uh, they wanted me to preach a sermon. And every guy that was there, there was nine of us. And each of us had to preach a sermon. And then everybody critiqued it. Which is about as an intimidating thing as you're ever going to step into. So dummy me. They said, what do you want? I'm first. I want this over with. There's a swimming pool out there. I'll baptize myself. So everybody had their sugar stick. These are sermons that I've preached. I've preached it multiple times, and this is the one. Except me. I was in 1 Thessalonians, and I preached out of 1 Thessalonians 4 to excel still more. And, you know, everybody says, well, you know, you did pretty good considering you'd never ever preached that before. And I was like, yeah, I'll probably never ever preach it again. (laughs) uh, (laughs) So it's just the way things work. All right, But I, I watch this because I watch churches that are willing to take a stranger and say, I want you to have control of my eternal destiny in my soul and that I may be sanctified by what you're doing and I don't know nothing about you other than that one sermon you preached. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, I was thinking of Brian. Brian had his knee surgery uh, the doctor was in there and they're going, any questions you want to ask? And, and nobody had any questions. He looked over at me and he says, you got any questions? And i was like, yeah, you ever done this before? <laughs> Dude, if I want to have surgery, I want to make sure I ain't the first guy you're doing this on. And yet I think about my eternal soul and we're more flippant with that than we are, you know, I'm getting ready to have, you know, a hangnail removed. Do you know what this man's relationship with Jesus Christ is? See, the Apostle Paul uses that statement there and he says, you are looking at the things as they are outwardly. Look at the evidence. You're listening to these people who are sowing seeds of doubt. I have had this happen. I know people and they get allies and they do this. And I remember some people coming into my office saying, well, you know, we heard this. And I said, well, who said it? And they told me. And I said, well, let me compare the fruit. Show me the fruit of their lives and then put my life to it. It's that simple. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying there in verse 7. Do they have, do we think on these things? Is there a relationship with Christ, such that there is a power in their life that helps with the sanctification of souls and even the salvation. You know, I guess the simplest way is, is do you see the glory of Christ in that person? Because I got news for you. You don't manufacture that. You can't fake that. You can't act like it. If the glory of Christ is there, the glory of Christ is there. If it's not there, then what is their relationship with Christ? Second thing, you see there, verse 8, is the impact on the church. He says there, if I have to boast more, if I have to tell you more about my ministry, other than the fact that I lived with you, among you for two years, if I had to do that, if I have to go further on what my apostolic authority truly is, That which the Lord gave, why? For building you up, not destroying you. Now remember, he's referencing back to the severe letter. When you confront sin, people get hurt. It hurts their feelings. If you confront it, and yet we're all supposed to. Now, if you're not willing to bear their burden, then keep your mouth shut. Okay? That's Galatians. Galatians. But if you're willing to bear that person's burden, that heavy weight of that sin, then yeah. Okay, because if you confront sin and are not willing to bear the burden, then you'll have my burden. I will be joyful. Okay, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you, if I confront your sin, any person who knows me knows that I'm willing to walk with you to get out of it. All right. What is their impact? See, the false, the accusers can say, well, he wrote that mean old nasty letter. He hurt everybody's feelings. See, he's dividing the church. All right. All right. Truth of the matter is, he was trying to draw the church back to its relationship with Jesus Christ. He was building it up. Okay? Remember what the writer of Hebrews says? Do not forsake the assembly of together, which is the habit of many spurring each on to love and good deeds. Okay? Remember when he wanted to go to Rome? He didn't want to start the second Pauline church of Rome. He says, I want to come to the church that's established in Rome and bear fruit with you. Okay, that's what a true man of God is doing. He's there for the church. Third thing is, that's compassion for the people. Compassion for the people. There are too many in the body of Christ now in leadership positions who are using the people for themselves. Okay? I mean, I could go through, I, and we ain't got enough time today for me to name them all. Okay? Because the people are there for them. That is not compassion for the people. Paul wrote the severe letter. They would say he's mean. You confront sin, it's painful. But it's done for restoration. Why? Because of his love for the the church, Paul loved the people, he looked at what he he had this church is mind-boggling to me. go read First Corinthians just his first six chapters. There were schisms. people were standing up, they were abusing the lord's table, they were encouraging sexual immorality in the name of grace, and Paul still endured them. he still wanted to restore them. They were corrupting spiritual gifts. And he still kept writing them. He had a love for the people. You're on the wrong track. You're going the wrong way. You're listening to the wrong people. He had given up his life. He had poured himself into the people. Listen, false, those who are not known by God have a deep selfishness that every once in a while will surface up and you'll spot it. They don't expose it, but they're doing it for themselves. They build their empires. They're doing it for the money. They're doing it for the fame, the prestige. They're doing it because they want the tables of honor. And you the, the truth of the matter is, there's so many of them it's easier to point out the ones who don't. There's not as many. True sacrifice of self for the people, and the false sacrifice to people for self. OK? Fourthly, they have a disdain for fleshly methods, disdain. If you look at there, he says, his letters are weighty and strong. Now, they have to say that because the severe letter got the church to repent. So it is weighty and it is strong. Okay? But, and this is the way they are, his personal presence is unimpressive. He's not much to look at. You know, I can agree with that. I know he's not much to look at. Now, I've, I've read some extra writings that try to describe him, and I can't validate whether they're true or not. But I do know this about the Apostle Paul. He was stoned and left for dead. So you know that that is not a pleasing face to look at. So I've got that part. So there's nothing there to see. But look at what we do in our society today. We want the pleasant personality. Paul said he had came with gentleness and meekness in verse one of chapter ten. There is a disdain for the fleshly ways. Uh, The fleshly ways are always manipulative. The fleshly ways are schemes, are personalities, are techniques. They are human oratory. They are salesmen. He says, "I came only to boast in the Lord." The false are slick speakers. They have slick personalities. They have dominating personalities. His presence can take over a room. He's powerful. I I remember listening to some people and they said, well, he was powerful. And I said, he was yelling. (laughs) I don't really call that powerful. You yell at me? All right. Is that powerful? If that's what it it takes, then I'm going to have Dane turn up the volume. Now I'll take over the room. Which brings me to what I want to deal with this Lord's day. His integrity. Verse 11. Let such a person. Okay, who's he talking to? Those who would say. They say in verse 10. His letters are weighty and strong. Those people. Okay. So in verse 11. Let such a person consider this. Okay. These people who are saying this. Let them consider this. What we are in word by letters when absence, such persons we are also indeed when present. Okay? What he's trying to say is it's his integrity. Is his life consistent? Paul was no different when he was with you or when he was away from you. See, this is the same old accusation. When he's here, he's a wimp. Slinks out of town, he's a coward. When he writes, he's fiery, he's weighty. See, there's a different person. There's no consistency. He's two different people. Okay, how can he have integrity if he's this way when he's in present with us or he's this way when he's... Writing us these nasty letters. Okay. Paul's response is. Any person who makes that accusation. Let that person know. Now remember. There's, a, there's this little part of me. Who's grinning. Thinking this letter is being read. To the congregation in Corinth. And the guys that are making this accusation. Are hearing this too. Okay, so he would hear, let such a person, knowing who, everybody in the church knows who he's talking about. Let such a person consider this, what we are in word by letters when absence, such persons we are also indeed when present. Any person who makes this accusation, let that person know, let that person realize that what we are in word By letter, which you yourself say is powerful, we are also when we are not with you. Okay? What what it is, is there's no hypocrisy in the true man of God. There is no faking it. He's not a phony. Paul was a true man of God. He's the same man whether he's writing a letter... From a distance or whether he's standing right in front of you. Same man wherever he is. Same convictions wherever he is. Same confidence wherever he is. Whoever he's with. And you know what? Just the opposite is what a false man of God is. Listen, I grew up in a time... Some of you don't remember Jim Jones... In the Jonestown in Ghana. Okay. Some of you remember David Koresh. When they are in a crowd, they're a completely different person than when they're with an individual or alone. Go through the scandals that you've seen here, that you guys know about. Whether it's life, whatever, down in the springs. I don't care where it is. Jimmy Swaggart. What's his name? Uh, PTL dude. Go through it. When they're in front of a group, they're one person. But look at what was exposed when they're by themselves. And it's easy to see. I, I, I see it a lot because. One of the things that I've noticed about the false, if they're in it for the personality or for the speaking abilities, they're there to generate money and accolades and fame, Okay, then they're one way in front of the masses. But when they're in private... They're a completely different person. Why? One man before the crowd. One man before the group. Another in front of individuals. Why? They love the crowd. They have disdain for the individual. Why? It's simple. Which one gives them more? Which one is of the greater benefit? The Apostle Paul understood that. That how I am when I'm with you is the same way I am when I'm not with you. The false or another in front of individuals, they love the crowds, they have a disdain. Why? Because the disdain for the individuals. Why? Because there's nothing in it for them. I remember one time, I was down at Glorietta. It was a pastor's conference. I had walked out into the courtyard and uh, introduced my wife to Dr. MacArthur. We had some chit-chat and we talked to each other and, and all the rest of it and uh, he left. And he he was one of the keynote speakers. Another guy who was head of our denomination. Okay? Head of our denomination. I wanted to ask him a question and he blew me off because he just didn't have time. Okay? And I... And I you know, there's part of me says, "Hey, whatever." I didn't lose no sleep over, it. and I'll never forget because he got up to preach. Okay, and I, to this day, he gets up to preach, and of course, he's that typical Southern Baptist that does this and does that and all the rest of that runs around. He stepped out from behind the pulpit and his shirt tail sticking out of his zipper. And to this day, I have no idea what he taught on. <laughs> But I thought, you know what? <laughs> if, if you think that you're too big for your britches, check your zipper. <laughs> so, but, but I'll never forget that. It was sort of like God saying, don't worry about it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, cause I was like, why don't somebody in the front row say, yo, dude, <laughs> look down. But, but I'll never forget, I've never forgotten that because, uh, you know, he just sloughed me off like, kid, you're taking too much time. And I only had a couple of questions. It really wasn't that big a deal and I didn't lose any sleep over it. Okay? The integrity of Paul, he wasn't with the people because of his love for the people. He he wasn't there for what he was going to get from the people. He was there because the love of Christ in his heart compelled him the compassion and love that he had for the people. He didn't see people as an ends to a means. That is what goes on in the evangelical church today. There are people look at congregations and they treat it like a corporation. If I can get enough people sitting in enough chairs at enough times, I can hire more ministers to take care of them people and then I become famous. Okay? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? The, the, The phenomenon I see going on in America right now it's no different than what was going on in Corinth. They'd come by in, in behind a church that the Apostle Paul has, and they had done it following Paul. They did it all over everywhere he went. See, the false can profit from the crowd, but they can't profit from the individual. Paul never wavered from what Christ had made him. The true man of God will never waver from what God called him to. What do you look for? What is the great question? Watch what people are attracted to and yet they don't see the hypocrisy. Go look at what's going on in our community right now and it is full of hypocrisy. And what is amazing is the people don't see it. Let me give you some texts that uh, bear this out. Second Timothy, chapter four, verse three: For the time will come. Timothy is in Ephesus. Paul is in the Mammetine prison, getting ready to have his head removed. Okay, and he's telling Timothy, "It's time for you to take over." The time will come, he tells Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in according to their own desires. Okay? The time will come. You know what? I think you can retranslate that. The time has come. They will accumulate. You know what that means? They will heap to themselves. You know what that means? There's a bunch of them teachers willing to do it. Why? They don't look at the man and see if he has a good relationship with Christ. They don't look at the man and see if he what his impact is on the church. They don't look at the man and see if he has a compassion for the people. They don't look and see if he has disdain for fleshly methods. And they don't look at his integrity. Why? I don't want to hear sound raw. I don't want to hear judgment. I don't want to hear sin and sanctification and all that Bible stuff. Make me feel better. How's come you ain't got a church softball team? You see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, I'm not against softball. We had one. I like softball. I don't think I can run anymore. So <laughs> I would be proud to be the catcher. <laughs> Tickle their ears. They heap to themselves teachers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12-13. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. That's an amazing verse right there. This church is a rock and roll church. This church here is just amazing. You read the first three chapters, you're like, these guys have arrived. And in chapter 4, he says, no, I want you to excel still more. Then in chapter 5, here's how I want you to excel still more. These are the things you need to do. What? Appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you and esteem them highly. You know what appreciate means? In the original language? It is the congregation's responsibility to get to intimately know their pastor. Why is it the congregation believes it's the pastor's responsibility to get to intimately know every one of you? It's easier for all of you guys to get to know me than it will ever be for me to get to know all of you guys. Right? Why? You need to know these people. Why? What is their relationship to Christ? Are they what they are on Sunday morning? Or are they that at midnight on Wednesday? See what I'm trying to get at? Do you want me to tell you what the word esteem means? In the original language? I didn't get it. Nobody said so. All right, we'll go on. Because it says very highly. You know what it means? Pay them. Very highly. I didn't write it. I find that fascinating. Why? Because I want you to excel still more. Why? If that man has a relationship with Christ, that you see the glory of Christ in his life. If that man has an impact on the church, that people are getting saved and peoples are growing in their faith. If that man has compassion for the people, that he would lay his life down for any person in that church. If that person has disdain for fleshly methods, he has integrity. What you see on Sunday, he is all the time and he is humble. You should get to know him. And because of his work, you should pay him well. Why? Because I got news for you. There aren't that many. There really aren't that many. Get to know the shepherds. Why? Are they consistent? Are they real? Or are they actors? You can spot it. It's like I said, you cannot fake the glory of Christ. If you're questioning that, then you can know, I if I can't see the glory of Christ, then I can come down here and say, maybe what I'm seeing on Sunday morning, He ain't on Monday. Look at the scandals that you and I in just our life have seen in the pulpits. And what you find out in every single one of them, the person that you saw before the crowd was a completely different person when in private. When in private. I remember meeting uh, with Ted Haggard one time here in Castle Rock. And uh, he looked at me and he says, my biggest issue is my pride. And I said, you know, uh, you might want to get that fixed. But he ain't going to listen to me. Look at his thriving metropolis. Well, look what happened. Okay. See, what's scary about that one is he knew he had a problem. And I got news for you. Pride is serious because you know what I'm going to teach on over the next four weeks? It's humility. Do you know what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven? So don't think pride is, well, it's not really that big a deal. Well, yeah, it is. When you start thinking about a true man of God and what is he like. You got to ask yourself. Is his relationship. You know what? I think the thing when I think about the relationship with Christ, is that well known? Is it well known? I mean, is, I mean, is it outside of the building? The people outside of the building know that that guy has a relationship with Christ. I was dealing with a motorcycle customer here just a couple of... Well, it was the other day. I was talking to him. I told him that his battery was wrong and all the rest of it. And he says, you know, I heard something about you. And I was like, yeah, oh, great. Um, I said, what would you hear, Henry? And he says, I run into a guy who said you're a preacher. And I was like, well, I guess so. He says, I wonder why you never cussed. <laughs> And I was like, "Well, there you have it." <laughs> so, but do you see what I'm trying to get at? I mean, you know, these—I—I I, I had an enforcer for the Hell's Angels, and I'll let you ponder what that is. Okay, and he came to me, and he—he's he's looking at me. I'm, I'm doing a service on his bike, and he—he comes to me and he says, uh, "I hear you're a preacher," and I said, "Yep." And he says, I need to talk to you. And I said, really? You know, well, you need a tire or what, tune-up? What, what he says, no, my conscience is bothering me. And I thought, an enforcer for the Hells Angels? I bet it is. <laughs> Your conscience is bothering me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I didn't say that because he's an enforcer for the Hells Angels. <laughs> I'm just not that stupid. Okay, but he said, I'm trying to get at... Is that impact of, of Christ in their life well known? Okay. Is their impact on the church well known? Do they see it? Their compassion for the group or the individuals? is the same man of God. Let me close with one more verse out of 1 Thessalonians that has set the stage for what I'm going to deal with over the next few weeks. True man of God is known by his relationship to Christ, impact on the church, compassion for people, disdain for fleshly methods, integrity, and then we will spend a few weeks on humility. Because I want you to hear a verse that I think is often missed. It comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Okay, How do you speak, Paul? Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. That's pretty serious. When you know that there's an age coming when men will not hear sound words and will heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears and please their fleshly desires. Father, please give us God-pleasers and not men-pleasers. Father, I thank you for my brother Paul, the testimony of his life, the endurance of his ministry, his faithfulness to the precious souls that you entrusted him with. And may each of us look around at these words and realize where are we. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing privilege. Father, help us to run this race without being entangled in the things of this world. And help us, Lord, be overwhelmed by the grace and mercy and power and pleasing presence of our Savior in our hearts. Father, please, let us run with endurance. Let us seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And Father, may each of us be known as true men and women of God.